the show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking about building the healthcare of tomorrow. We're approaching our fifth year on the air. If you're just now joining us, we hope you'll subscribe and check out our previous episodes. I mean, we're just a few episodes away from number 200. A great starting point is the start of our current season, season six, where we've been focusing on how to operationalize and scale consumer-first care and digging into the details of how to make it happen. Season six starts at episode number 170. Again, that's episode 170. If you haven't yet, I hope you'll check it out. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the Week about the No Surprises Act. Is forced innovation better than no innovation at all? I'll talk about that. Then Sonia Milsom is in the house to share some provocative thinking about consumers' healthcare needs in areas that we should be talking about more. We dive deep into the current state of maternal care, designing health services around improved access, and ultimately how to better understand consumers' healthcare choices so we can design better products and experiences. This episode's jam-packed, and we have a lot to share along the way. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. Is forced innovation better than no innovation at all? The era has begun for the No Surprises Act, or depending on who you ask, they might call it the No Solutions Act. Okay, it's not that bad, really, at least not for consumers. The law known as the No Surprises Act, or NSA, went into effect January 1st, and it's meant to protect consumers against surprise bills that come from an out-of-network provider during care that's provided at an in-network facility. This applies to 10 million patient encounters, including one in five emergency room visits and one in six in-network hospitalizations. It covers emergency services, lab services, and any professional non-emergency services, including things like surgery, anesthesia, pathology, radiology, and hospitalists. The details are pretty mind-boggling, though. Here's my take, which, as always, shows my empathy for providers while staying centered on the needs of consumers. First, at face value, this seems like a step in the right direction. At a certain point, if a majority of providers and hospital administrators aren't willing to innovate on their own, then it seems plausible for someone else to step in and force their hand, especially on a problem as historically slippery and practically impossible to unravel as hospital billing. And don't even get me started on the time when a hospital leader told me that if they did away with their facility fees, they'd go out of business. Second, it's still overly complex. The problem with healthcare billing isn't simple, and neither is this as a solution. 
Gail Zotz, CEO of Prop Health, appeared on the HC Biz Show, and she explained that the way it works is that now the provider has to send the health plan a good faith estimate list of every provider that might possibly be involved in your care for that particular condition. The payer then receives that and mixes it with an advanced EOB that estimates which benefits will be out of network. That consolidated pre-bill, along with a HIPAA-compliant legal consent, then has to go to the patient, who has to sign it no less than three days before having the procedure. I hope we can get to the point when solutions help solve the intended problem while ultimately reducing the complexity of the healthcare experience. And third, from the provider standpoint, this is the latest thing they have to do right or get fined. The burden falls on the provider to prove that they've attempted to get advanced consent. Long story short, for every infraction, the doctor can be fined $10,000. So, the question remains, is forced innovation better than no innovation at all? I think so. From the consumer standpoint, I think it's a net positive. I also hope over time we can get to the point where providers are the ones driving the change from within the system. And I hope that we don't see progress on path one and path two as mutually exclusive. Remember, path one is to optimize the existing hospital, provider, payer-centric experience. And path two is creating a new experience that partially or fully occurs outside of that system. Either way, it's our job to applaud each step in the right direction, regardless of how complicated it might be. We need to have an abundance mentality that for consumers to win, that doesn't mean providers or payers have to lose. Let's spend our effort finding that middle ground. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. Uh, this week, Sonia Milsom is in the house to share some provocative thinking about consumer demands in areas that need to be talked about more. We're going to dive deep into the current state of maternal care. We're going to talk about the role of women and really how it's the role in healthcare, uh, not just the women's role. It's the role in healthcare primarily that women end up playing. So first and foremost, let's get down to business. Welcome to Healthcare Wrap, Sonia. Hi, Jared. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, you and I first connected, I believe it was at a, a virtual webinar last summer. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And like I made that note to myself during that. It, it was a, a session, I believe, that I, I was moderating or something. And, and you gave such great insights there. I was like, I need to have her on the podcast. And, and I'm so glad we we're able to reconnect here. For our listeners, Sonia is just a somebody that you need to know, somebody you need to have in your universe. And not just because of her background and her experience. I mean, she's spent her career at healthcare companies on all sides of the healthcare ecosystem, everything from United Healthcare to Best Doctors, Iora, and most recently, Maven. Right now, she's a board member, advisor, and an investor in a variety of innovative healthcare companies. But I'll let her fill in those those details a little bit. Uh, Sonia, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background and what healthcare means to you. Let, let's start there and we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first I'll just you know start by saying part of my background is my parents were immigrants into this country and really instilled a value of helping others. And I think, you know, ultimately immigrants are the ultimate entrepreneurs, right? They come here with no roadmap, no playbook, and they really have to build as they live their journey. And so, you know, part of me and, and what I learned through that experience was, you know, where is it that you can give and help to others? And that's what we desperately need in healthcare. 
healthcare. And I actually started my career in, in healthcare as a maternal child health Peace Corps volunteer in Morocco and North Africa, where I lived for two and a half years. I lived in a rural village and I really saw firsthand how people can, you know, unfortunately, without the right resources and infrastructure, they lose their lives. You know, and I saw that very clearly for both moms and babies and learned a lot about how is it that we need to drive change. And it's really what inspired my passion around healthcare, which is really taken me throughout my career and thinking about how is it that you change delivery systems and also really impact particularly underserved or vulnerable populations. So let's go there. Let's talk about some of that experience that has affected you know, what's important to you in healthcare. Tell us a little bit more about that. I understand uh, you started your career out of college as a volunteer. You lived in a rural village. You saw firsthand what can happen when healthcare isn't there. Uh, you want to walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I lived in a rural village in North Africa and Morocco for two and a half years, no running water, electricity. And you see that, you know, health education, cultural behavior, and then frankly, just a lack of access to resources, doctors in your area, you know, health education information, medicine, vaccines, those types of things really have an impact on the delivery and the outcomes of what we see in care. And frankly, it's no different than what we see today as we look at a lot of our populations around social determinants of health, right? Ultimately, those are really what make an impact in people's ability to connect and have trust within their healthcare systems, which allows them to have the ability to be educated and to have the best outcomes ultimately and, and, and be healthy. That kind of leads me to kind of understanding what the state of the state is in, in healthcare today in terms of Consumer demands in areas that, that need to be talked about more, I guess. I will say I stopped myself. I hesitated from saying, let's talk about maternal health because I don't think that does it justice. Just speaking frankly, I feel like this is just healthcare. It's not maternal health. It is healthcare and there are roles that women play prominently that we don't talk about enough and we don't understand enough. And that kind of comes through in the way that healthcare is offered and the services that are even provided and the products that people are creating, they don't play well enough to the people who are most often making those healthcare choices. Tell us what you understand about that and kind of your, your experience and your, your perspective on the role that women play in healthcare choices to begin with. Absolutely. There's actually a great Hubert Humphrey quote that says, the way we treat our children in the dawn of their lives and the way we treat our elderly in the twilight of their lives is a measure of the quality of a nation. And when you think about that, right, you know, we've done some work in, you know, the, uh, the side of the system that is specific to aging populations, and there have been some innovative models there. And we're starting to do some of that work really at the beginning of life. But ultimately, it is very often women who are the ones who are making the choices in healthcare for themselves as well as for their families. 80% of those choices for themselves and 60% of their healthcare choices for others. I mean, even 70% of all prescriptions in a drugstore are picked up by women. And so we know that they are heavily the users, but then they are also the ones that are facilitating care, you know, both at the beginning of life and even also as caregivers throughout. And so it's so important that we start to think about building systems and engaging women as consumers because they are the entry into the healthcare of their families in a very different way than we really have historically. You're so right. And, and I feel like that, that kind of re reveals some of the ways that the healthcare system is, is outdated right now, that it doesn't reflect the modern experience of care needs. So like maternal mortality, for instance, uh, I know there's some things you're passionate about in terms of the lack of consumer voice in, in what women and families need in order to personalize their journey. So what, what's your, what are your thoughts on that in terms of 
helping us bring that consumer voice more to light so that we understand what the needs are and how do we create more consumer-first healthcare service to begin with. Yeah. I mean, first, I just want to also just double down on a point that you made just around like maternal health and mortality. I mean, we do have one of the highest levels of maternal mortality of any developed country. And we spend over $100 billion annually on maternity care. And so if you kind of put those things together, it's really unfortunate and insane and frankly, a tragedy that it's not working the way that it really should be. And there's, there's a lot of disparities, particularly around, you know, also black women who we know have a 2.5 times higher ratio for than white women and ability to potentially die during childbirth. And we see the same for Hispanic women, even higher. Part of this is because 50% of all the births are really covered under Medicaid. And that status quo there is like still very highly fragmented. And we talk about consumerism in healthcare. So thinking about how is it that those to-be moms or moms are accessing the healthcare system? How is it that they're either getting to their appointments? Are they able to use telehealth? You know, do they have to put children into daycare in order to get there? All of those components are still very much based in a system that is built in the 1800s and is really focused on highly specialized care and not really focused on what is it that the women of today need as they're thinking about becoming parents or our parents that are thinking about expanding their families. It's just a very different way of thinking about it than thinking about this highly technical, specialized care delivery system, which is what we see in our maternal system today. What are you seeing in terms of how we can elevate this conversation and and get us to talk about it more and help us to understand the needs at a greater level? What can we do to just improve the conversation and have it happen more often? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think you're right. It's based on historically dated models. I think ultimately we need to be great listeners, right? We need to understand what it is that people need. Your journey is very personalized. A mom who is thinking about, again, things like transportation or just food insecurities or those types of things need different access and different ways to interact with the system than a mom who's a engineer at a high-tech firm. And we need to be able to personalize that journey in a very different way. And, And part of it, even when we talk about consumerism, Jared, it's really also about the providers and being able to have flexibility in the way that they are approaching different demographics of their patient populations. So they can say, okay, you might have access to more telehealth visits, whereas somebody else really needs to come into the practice and get more hands-on care and nutritional services and mental health, which we know is a huge component of what's happening in maternity, but throughout women's health as well, and really be able to bring all of those services together in a way that's personalized based on what everybody might need, which is very different. Nobody's journey is exactly the same. Hang with us. We'll be right back and check out these amazing podcasts from our friends. Healthcare is an industry where women make 80% of buying decisions and are 65% of the workforce. Yet women are notably underrepresented in industry leadership, making up approximately 30% of C-suite teams and just 13% of CEOs. The Hit Like a Girl podcast ensures that more women's voices from healthcare and health IT are heard in an effort to inform policy as well as to help more women advance within the industry. I'm the show's founder and host, Joy Rios, and I interview women leaders to amplify their work. New episodes are released weekly on Mondays and Thursdays, and you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Health Podcast Network, or wherever you tune in. 
To find out more, you can follow us on social media or go to hitlikeagirlpod.com. Consumer experiences, major disruptors in AI tech are shaping healthcare for years to come. We're data rich, but information poor. Data without decisions is just distraction. You have to show results. That's how you build trust. On Hello Healthcare, we dive deep on these issues with the leaders who are driving change. And we hope that these stories will help you to create or demand a better future within healthcare. Don't miss out. Follow Hello Healthcare. Okay, back to the flow. So if I use kind of a human-centered design framework, if you will, one of the tenets of human-centered design is to understand the right problem to fix or to try to solve. And then you use some open-ended questions to say, how might we address that problem? How do you decide which problem is the right problem to solve when we start hearing and understanding more about this gap between today's needs of consumers and who's making those choices and what's actually being offered? There is a big gap there. So how do we decide what the actual problem is, let alone how to solve it? Like, where do we start? Yeah, I think it's, again, being good listeners and also collecting data when you are first interacting with a mom or somebody who wants to be, you know, enter and parented. What is it that they're looking for? How is it that they want to actually access the healthcare system? And we know that women between the ages of 25 and 44 are the most frequent users of telehealth. They want something that is easy to access on demand at all different types of times of the day and the weekend. And just that alone knowing that you can have access to those services on a very based on demand of your own personal schedule and using telehealth, for example makes a huge difference. And that's not what's offered, right? In today's society, it's like, you've got to come in, you've got to make an appointment with a specialist. You've got to come in at a certain time at a certain interval and have very certain tests. And again, none of that is really highly personalized at all. Right. Yeah. It makes me think of an example of a colleague of mine whose daughter is in grade school and has a condition where she needs to be checked up on a a few times a year, not every month, I don't think, but often enough during the year, she's about two hours away from the main facility that they want her to come in and get a checkup. And part of that checkup involves like height and weight check. And the rest of the visit could be done virtually in her mind. And she has been pushing and pushing uh, for her provider organization to make that available to kind of do like a hybrid visit where she doesn't have to have, you know, come into the clinic for every single one of those checkups where some of the ones in between, maybe like every other could be done just virtually. And I applaud her for the effort. And I hope it, you know, I hope one day they, they understand that that's not that much of a lift for them to be able to offer that. They're probably offering both things and just not putting it together as a hybrid choice for her. And hopefully they're hearing that a perfect example of an opportunity to listen to somebody who's making a request, who's saying like, this would, this would make this so much easier and it's going to help you too get the data you need to, to treat my daughter. Yeah. It just reminded me of that because I, I think that's a pretty common type of conversation that's happening where we all can say right off the top of our heads, here's what would make this easier for us. How do we make that happen? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great example. And it's also an example of where technology, right? Remote patient monitoring devices to check weight and those types of things could be used that gives the data to the provider. And frankly, I think it's easier for the provider as well. I mean, 
obviously there are times when you need to lay hands or eyes specifically on your patient, but there's a lot of times where you are really looking for data points in between and the ability to collect that through technology to help inform what the next visit should be versus getting that on the spot and then having to triage and diagnose is actually a much better both patient and provider experience. Oh, that's so true. Well, so let's let's go down this road of how we go about creating some of this change. There are a lot of tools out there. There's a mindset of innovation that if we if we apply that, if we use it, that we can start to see some of the tools that are out there and available for us to help create some change in this environment. What are your thoughts on on any of those tools that you've come across or used that that we can use to to help create some change here? Yeah, I think there's a number of them. I think where we have seen innovation in healthcare is really where you see the alignment of, again, the consumer needs as well as the provider needs and financial models that are there. We've seen some of those, again, in the Medicare space, if you think of the Ioras or the Oak Streets of the world. We need to do more of that in the Medicaid space. Again, 50% of all births taking place under those payment mechanisms and really thinking about how is it that you could coordinate care better and think longitudinally about both the mother and the baby and having that connectivity uh, overall. And I think that's a huge tool if you align the incentives for that period of time through the first year of life, at least you would have much better outcomes overall. Oh, well, I like this line of thought here. So uh, let's go down that a little bit more. Any studies that you've come across or any models that you're aware of? Anything like if we go down that that whole little bit more, like you mentioned, Iora and, and Oak Street, anything about those models in particular that makes it more possible for us to make progress in these areas? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a ton of data that is showing that the demonstrated the need when you really have the patient activated in their own healthcare, you can really have impact on the physiological, the psychological, behavioral, as well as their quality of life in a variety of conditions. And I think all of that can really be applied. Again, when you think about social determinants of health, transportation and food insecurities, mental health, all of those investments really impact those populations. And thinking about that and turning it again into the beginning of life, you know, we know that oftentimes people who are entering parenthood don't have a primary care physician. So this is the time when they're really engaging and really thinking about where they could do that. There's been some work with the American Rescue Plan Act, which has really given states the option to extend Medicaid postpartum coverage for 12 months via state plans. And so there are about 21 states that have adopted to date with full coverage, but there's still a lot more to do. And I think, again, being able to think about that comprehensively from a OBGYN and and maternal health perspective, but then also from a pediatrics perspective and really combining those two is where we have the biggest opportunity in this country. Becoming a parent really is often the entry point into the healthcare system. Talk us through that. Like, how, how can we better understand that fact in itself and how that can help us design a better healthcare experience? Most of us are relatively young and healthy and go through you know, life and then decide that we're going to become parents. And it's when you engage, right? It's when you are most interested and active about taking in healthcare knowledge and data information around medication, information around nutritional status, mental health, all of those, even things around financial literacy. And if you're able to actually create programs that surround the OBGYN's office or that individual as they're entering into that state, you can have generational impact, right? If you have somebody thinking about their nutritional status and then they're using that to think about how they're feeding their children, 
that has huge implications for health status for generations to come. And so building in those systems very comprehensively as just part of the process, I think could have a huge impact. And it's just not something that we do right now, right? We kind of check the heartbeat and check gestational diabetes, but that's just those are checks. They're not really, uh, and they're very important, don't get me wrong, but you need that plus. You need the other services that you that people need and want because that they haven't had access to them before in order to engage that healthcare consumer to really make a difference and change. So it sounds like you're, you're talking about shifting the whole focus of primary care to really the dawn of life. So when, when people are most engaged, am I phrasing that right? Like we're talking about just shifting the focus of primary care altogether. I think so. I think if you shift it to that dawn of life, you're shifting it when they're engaging in the system. And really there's so much trust that is being developed at that point in time with the system, right? The OBGYN is often your trusted voice. That's place to make those investments and to shift it instead of trying to put band-aids in later on when you've missed this huge opportunity in order to engage people. Well, that's a key word, isn't it? engaging people <laughs> throughout this whole process. It's fascinating, I guess, coming from like a digital marketing background, oftentimes that's the center point. That's the focus for me of how are we engaging somebody? There's an ultimate outcome that we want to see somewhere, but how are we engaging them all along? There's a journey, there's a relationship that has to be created. There are emotional touch points that are often going to spur certain actions along the way. So that all comes with a whole journey of ways that we are interacting with people. And if we're not even thinking about that, if we're just like, hey, this is episodic care. So yeah, we're going to see somebody once or twice a year or for those well checks, you know, for the children. And we don't think about them at all in between. Like there's no question in my mind why there are gaps in the experience overall. We're missing these opportunities to engage. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's just where I go naturally because I see the opportunity. There are way there are so many tools that have been created in the last 10 to 15 years that automate that, that make it easier to engage with people. And we're, we're still not learning how to use those correctly. So I think it's important both on the provider's side, but also anyone involved with the healthcare journey at all for anybody, just understanding that some engagement along the way can help and, and can ultimately lead us to those, those outcomes that we want. But what about from you in terms of like a call to action, things that we can see people make some progress in some areas, maybe some some thoughts on how we can see some progress here, specific actions or things you've thought about that like, hey, if only this was happening, then, then we could see some progress. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I just want to also point on your issue and your, your point on engagement, because I think it is so important. And I think the other piece about engagement is there are a lot of tools But I think there's this combination of in-person and virtual that's really important and where people want to on-ramp, off-ramp is thinking about language and thinking about cultural sensitivity around care matching of providers that are like them. That combination is really what creates sustained engagement. And so that's where we really need to make those investments overall. I think the call to action is really around changing and creating a really clean slate on maternity reimbursement models that align all the interests that we're talking about, right? This consumer and all the engagement points that we were just talking about, as well as providers and payers, like really thinking comprehensively around that for both government programs, as well as for commercial programs, and really creating a new model of primary care that incorporates OBGYNs and pediatricians as a comprehensive PCP unit for their family. And then thinking about all of those things we just talked about 
you know, mental health, nutritional services, education, you know, financial components as really the components of postpartum, because that again is where people are very invested in taking care of themselves and their children and family and incentives that support particularly the most underserved areas of our country. I love you. We're putting all these pieces together in this puzzle. And I think it's it's starting to come together. The more we we talk about all these different perspectives in it, like you mentioned, consumer provider and payers. So understanding that and understanding the differences in areas that are underserved and being able to incentivize that properly. Uh, great, great points there. This has been so enlightening. Again, this is a conversation that I hope to hear more often out there in the industry and that we don't get so caught up in headlines or in shiny objects or in new tech that we are neglecting to, to think about like, why are these things important? You know, how can these things help? What are the needs we're trying to solve? And I think the more we do that, the more we think about some of the things that you, you've brought up and, and uh, helped us focus on, the more progress we're going to see. I ultimately have a lot of hope for our industry. I see us making a lot of progress and it's by really getting our hands dirty a little bit, rolling up our sleeves and, and, and getting to work and, and trying to put some of these solutions and some of these thoughts into action. And, and that's where we're going to see a lot of progress. Uh, before we go, are there any new innovations, uh, any new care models, anything you haven't mentioned so far that gets you excited right now about healthcare? Anything that you've seen or, or heard of or been a part of recently that you're like, okay, that's something that I'm really going to keep my eye on. And, and that gives me some hope. There's so much innovation in this space. There are some really interesting care models. Again, you know, my time at Iora, both at Iora and at Maven, serving different ends of the spectrum again, but very amazing to see how those are continuing to progress. Obviously, the Iora and One Medical combination is really interesting too, as you start to think about how that comprehensive level of care from a commercial population into a Medicare population, I think is going to be really interesting, particularly as they move along that value-based care spectrum. I'll be watching eagerly to see how that progresses, but there's a lot going on and I'm really appreciative of you taking the time to, to bring so many interesting people into your you know ecosystem and for all of us to learn from each other. So thank you for doing that. Oh, well, like I told you earlier, this is the favorite part of my week, having these conversations, broadening my own horizons and, and learning from everyone who we have, including yourself. So great to have you here. And, and uh, thanks again for sharing so much with us, Sonia. Before we go, what's the best way for listeners to connect with you? Uh, you can reach me either on LinkedIn or Twitter. Either way, look forward to speaking with you. Cool. And uh, what's, what's your handle on Twitter? Uh, my handle is Sonia Milsom. Fantastic. All the best to you. Uh, can't wait to you know, keep our eyes on, on what you have going on. Stay safe, stay well. And uh, thanks for giving us a few minutes. Absolutely. Take care. Hey, thanks again for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, do us a favor and follow us using your favorite podcast app. Then tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Healthcare App is a member of the Shift.Health Content Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other shows in the Shift.Health Content Network. Go check out the latest show. In fact, it's called Hello Healthcare, hosted by Chris Hemphill. It's focused on people who are moving healthcare forward, how healthcare strategy relates to data and AI, and what you can do to create or demand a better future. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or at Shift.Health, where all 35 podcasts and video series are free and available on demand. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap.